Welcome to Season 2 of Humans Now and Then. Traditional leadership is on its way out. We are well into the dawn of more compassionate styles of leadership that value the strengths and needs of those that we lead. At the forefront of this transition is Mike Vacanti, founder of the Humans First Club and the author of the leadership book, Believership. I kick off Season 2 of Humans Now and Then with a raw conversation about the evolving concept of leadership now and in the future. Our greatest opportunity in leadership development is to allow people to have the internal strength that can help them lift others to rise and better themselves and to grow and carry those burdens for those people along that journey of discovery. I think that's really where we can encourage growth and create a path to develop great leaders. Mike's mission is to lift others, helping people discover their potential, embrace a growth mindset, and achieve at inspired levels. His current endeavors as an author, advisor, consultant, and keynote speaker are shifting the belief in what is possible and opening the hearts to a better vision and future of business around the globe. So, are you ready to go on a journey to explore leadership and how shifts in society impact its direction? Let's discuss. I'm Rebecca Scott, and this is Humans Now and Then. Mike Vacani, thank you for joining me. Oh, I'm so excited to be with you, Rebecca. This is just a treat. Yeah, well, me too, because and I'll let the listeners in a little bit about us. And so I met Mike sometime last year because of his Humans First initiative, Humans First Club, I suppose. And, you know, we, we really hit it off and we've had a lot of great conversations since then. So I'm really glad to have him on the show today. And he's got some great ideas about the future of leadership. So let's start there, Mike. I want you to tell the listeners a little bit about your journey in relation to how you got so passionate around improving uh, leadership and thinking about the future of leadership. I love that. Thank you for inviting me into that conversation, Rebecca. Um, and I will go there to answer the question, but I do want to say this because you mentioned when we met in Indianapolis for the first time. And I just want to recall that, you know, one of the topics that you had shared with the group after we had gone through an exercise, you know, really stood out and stayed with me. But you were one of those people, you know, and this was, I think, like the 10th event. We ended up doing 13, you know, that year, but this was like the 10th event that year. So groups of people, you know, 50, 70, 80, and there's just people in the room that kind of stand out, right? The presence and, and the story and just the way that you participated and drew people in. I just wanted to let you know that you have that. And it was really cool to be a part of and witness from that perspective of, you know, the guy that flew into town and, and was speaking and stuff. Wow. Well, thank you, Mike. I really appreciate that. That was a great event. So uh, Mike had done several of those events really globally, right? So you've done those all over the world, brought people together, really had honest conversations around the importance of people, importance of people in organizations, importance of people. I think in, maybe just in general <laughs> is that the importance of human connection. I'm going to say this real quick, and then we'll get into the leadership conversation, because I want to kind of share with the listener something I haven't shared before, something I don't share often. The thing that I brought up during that session is the fact that I do have a chronic pain disorder. So it's a neurological pain disorder that I have, and I don't usually talk about it because I just kind of deal with it. There's no treatment for it. It's uh, due to a spinal injury I had skiing many years ago. Uh, so occasionally I have significant strong pain, and we went through an exercise during that session 
that really made me kind of open up and connect to someone else. It was Isabel Hunt's exercise. And I'll put a link out for listeners too, if you want to look into Isabel's work. But really that, that exercise is about human connection and building that human connection in that moment actually alleviated the pain that had been bothering me for the entire day. And it was a very real and raw moment. And I shared that with the, with the group there and uh, yeah. it was impactful to me, highly impactful. You know, and thank you very much for opening up and sharing that, right? I love exploring what's possible when we just let down our guard and we open up and our minds are open enough to explore what we can do and eliminate the restrictions of trying to measure ourselves against what we can't do. Mm. And I say that almost as a transition into what's my philosophy on leadership and how did I get there? Um, I didn't come into my career with strong beliefs on this is the program I'm going to bring everybody through and this is the way you get it done. It was always focused more on kind of what we just experienced there is what relationship exists. How did that relationship develop? What are the elements of it? How are you today? And we've tried to become so predictable with leadership. And in doing so, we've taken out the best elements of leadership. And it's about the relationships you have with the people around you. And that's really what I explore in my book is when we remove the barriers, people are more likely to willfully commit to the outcomes, the objectives, the trials and tribulations of going forward in a journey that is not going to be just a clear, easy path. So it's how do people engage together, commit with each other, share the vision, share a belief in the outcome, and do it in a very genuine and aware way, being aware of what we're trying to achieve, being aware of those around us, and certainly growing in our self-awareness. Wow. It's definitely a powerful aspect in skill and leadership that is highly undervalued or overlooked, right? right. And I want to bring up an example that I had in a workshop that I did earlier last year, and it was around team dynamics. And one of the topics I had brought up is around powerful leadership and a lot of that leadership being around human connection and vulnerability. One of the audience members stood up and told me a story about her leader and how inspired she was by her simply because she listened. She encouraged people to, you know, follow their strengths, encouraged people beyond their mistakes, beyond their shortfalling, and really kind of thought about what's the value of that individual on my team in my organization that's just out in the world. And when you hear those types of stories, you realize the power of effective leadership that is based on human connection. And I know, I know you believe in that because not only do you coach it or you talk about it out in the world, you pretty much wrote a book about it <laughs> called Believership. And why don't you talk a little bit about your book and what are the things you kind of learned through that journey of writing your book? Yeah, um, thank you for that. Believership kind of grew out of the work that I started doing, you know, a little over four years ago when I started consulting. And it, it started with doing a deep dive into how did people experience me as a leader when we are going through the five mergers and acquisitions that, that I had been involved in, where I'm just dropped in the center of a of a team that's being brought together from several different companies and people that don't know me and kind of already the, the enemy because they don't like what's going on. And, and now this new boss comes in and, and I had a very different philosophy on, you know, how we would 
achieve things. And what was amazing is all five times those teams achieved really, really well, like exceptionally well, um, award winning within the company. And um, they always beat the objectives. But it wasn't until I was leaving the fifth merger and acquisition, Rebecca, that I was out interviewing for a job and somebody asked me, Mike, why is it that each of those teams was so successful? And honestly, I I almost did a Roddy Dangerfield where you kind of straighten the tie and, you know, kind of lower my voice an octave and gave whatever best answer I could come up with at the time and then walked out of the room thinking, I have no idea. Like, I know I was there for each one of them, but I really didn't have that answer. You know, I would say things like focus and I, you know, business speak, right? Mm-hmm. So I hired a coach and we did a deep dive on that and sent out thick packets to uh, dozens of people and got some really deep feedback on what they experienced during that time. And that led to the foundation that kind of became the premise for believership. So what I did is just kind of explored how I got through that journey. And so that part is in the book and name the coach and name some of the personal challenge and tribulation going through that. Mm. And um, that first vulnerability, right? I used to say that I I only welcome feedback if it would help me win an argument. (laughs) So even, you know, this long in my career, there's room for growth and understanding and changing our minds. And, um, And I think that's been the great part of this journey is seeing from others where they've witnessed and experienced great leadership. And also the deep confirmation of how the containers that we've built to identify leaders now is built around very flawed fables that are neither real or attainable. I think it leads us to select the wrong people, promote the wrong people. And I think it sets up an ideal that really can't be matched and perhaps does more harm than good. Mm -hmm. And I explore that in the book also, that I think that we've been led down a path of what an idyllic leader is. And I think they're fables and fairy tales and untruths. And that our great opportunity is to break all of those containers down and start allowing the best of us that naturally lead because people will come to them, toward them, follow them, commit to them or the idea or the product that we start to allow the best of us to rise and promote into leadership. And naturally, Rebecca, what I love most about that, it breaks down the limitations for true diversity and inclusion to become part of that stream forward. So it's really envisioning where we can go. And it's not about creating something that has to be next. It's about allowing the best of us to rise naturally. Because I think we've eliminated a lot of really good people along the path. Yeah, that's interesting to explore. And one of the things I thought was really interesting about what you said is the fact that you took a step back and did your own self-exploration and realized that the answers you were giving were simply for show. And one of the, the flaws or maybe some of the one of the fables that we tell ourselves about leadership is that leaders know everything. Leaders have all the answers, right? Right. So if you talk about those kind of fables or things we tell ourselves about what leadership should look like, what do you think is the most flawed fable that we tell? So I think we misidentify strength. Mm. What is strength? Is strength outward? Is it expressive? Is it the charismatic person in the room 
Is it the seemingly powerful presence? Is it something that is a common trait that each leader that we, you know, make into icons through history, did they all have one strand of DNA that some of us are missing? And, you know, those, those are the things that I think are the great flaws. We think that there's this package or list of common traits, personality types, skill sets. And when we really look at the great leaders that we put out there that achieved great things, and I'm going to leave that for each person, each listener's imagination of the field that they're in, the industry they're in, the world that they work in. Were they really common traits or were each of those people really unique individuals? And isn't the truth that it's their uniqueness that made them a great leader? Not the fact that they, you know, brushed their teeth in the morning like every other leader. So I think we look for this package of common characteristics, traits, personalities, test results, um, and skills. And the truth is, it's about really good people that had vision, that were able to communicate engage others in relationships where they would willfully commit and give their best efforts going forward. On top of that, I'd like to say our greatest opportunity in leadership development is to allow people to have the internal strength that can help them lift others to rise and better themselves and to grow and carry those burdens for those people along that journey of discovery. Mm. I think that's really where we can encourage growth and create a path to develop great leaders. Right. That's such a powerful point because I was just thinking through leadership development or different types of leadership training or leadership workshops that tend to kind of fall back on the old principles or principles that have been around for a long period of time. But the things that you're talking about are more kind of innate, right? Maybe not necessarily just one personality, but the ability to be vulnerable, right? the ability to connect, the ability to recognize the importance of the people around you. Some of that has to do with being able to take your ego and placing that aside, being able to be wrong, admit when you're wrong, and think about the importance of my team around me as I go to accomplish goals rather than the importance that I achieve that goal as a leader. And so let's talk about teams a little bit because mm -hmm. that's one of my passion areas too because I've done a lot on team dynamics and I feel like a strong team is usually the recipe for success at any business and organization. So what do you feel about what a good team should look like and how a leader should envision a good, uh, effective team? You know, you prefaced that so well with the comments that you just made, Rebecca, because when the leader has the ability and the vulnerability to grow, the team can grow. And when the leader is not growing, it's kind of ridiculous to ask the team to grow and to, to achieve. And so there has to be that fluid motion between everybody, right? And I think that the skills that have to be in place are the greatest environment for teams to really achieve. And I wasn't really fond of this word or this ideal um, even four years ago when I first you know, started jumping in and realizing its importance. I, I was resisting the term psychological safety. Mm. It felt pretty mushy to me. You know what I mean? And, mm. and, and I didn't recognize it as a science yet until I, I dug into it. And, and then, you know, through these humans first 
conversations we go in and open up a room and people do just explore, I learned that it really does exist and it's it's a pretty important thing. Mm-hmm. So I, I think that great teams naturally have that. They know each other. They accept each other's goofiness, their flaws. It's like you always show up late and it's a beloved thing. It's not you know, oh my gosh, you're always letting us down. You're five minutes late. It's like, ah, you know, there's Mike again. You know, he's always wonders in five minutes late and we don't dismiss him for it. It's kind of endearing. You know, those seem like really petty little things, but they're not. It is that, you know, how do we accept our friends? How do we accept our family members that, you know, have their idiosyncrasies, their quirks? And They become kind of endearing as well as annoying at times. And that's the great opportunity with teams is when we allow everybody to show up as who they are, they become their best selves, we get the best out of them. And I don't mean like we're extracting value. I mean that we allow them to contribute naturally and at their full strength when they're at full strength. And that's the other thing we miss is We all kind of have, you know, we're cyclical, right? We're kind of organic beings, right? So the ocean has waves, the moon has cycles, the, you know, days and nights pass, and people are somewhat orbital, right? Some work in steady streams and and need that organization, and some work in just big, bright bursts, and then are going to flame out and need to some recovery time. And when we allow each person to bring their skills and their strengths, and we allow them to operate in the natural orbits that they operate, and we become accepting of that, you know, I think you express that and and you actually, I know in your workshops, empower that type of understanding, acceptance, engagement, and put it into orchestrated patterns so it can be understood and repeated. You know, there needs to be some structure to it. But that's the real magic that goes on with people that achieve at a very high level is they take away a lot of the mm, false barriers of, you know, let's tighten this down and be efficient and professional and you know, being professional is achieving results consistently. Yeah. I think I say a lot is like people who have to put on a mask. That's an extra level of effort when they come to work every day, if they have to wear a mask. Absolutely. And this does have a lot to do with psychological safety, me being able to bring my full self to work, me being able to be exactly who I am, me being able to say, I disagree, and here's why. The ability to have a healthy conflict, to be able to resolve problems in a healthy way instead of avoiding it. You know, all these things are important, but you also brought up the point of diversity and inclusion. And so um, we're in a point in time where it's a shift. It's a societal shift that we've experienced, especially here in the United States recently in relation to, you know, Black Lives Matter and the tremendous movement that we've seen in relation to recognizing the importance of addressing racism in our society. And if you look in the workplace, we cannot turn a blind eye to the fact that these things exist there, too. That people who are different, um, whether it be from the race or from uh, psychological differences or the way they present themselves at work, have experienced these types of problems with psychological safety for years. And now is the time to have honest conversations about that, understand those experiences, and set that as an example for not even just for leaders, but for all of us to think about how different people experience the world and experience their work and allow them to enter workspaces in other places 
without fear, without a mask and being exactly who they are. And imagine the value that that would have, not even just for any organization, but for each of us. I'm really happy that you opened that up, right? It's, it, it's true, it's real, it's relevant. And, and I think it's a critical responsibility for each of us. And I'm a 59-year-old white guy that grew up in the suburbs of Minnesota. So my, my background through my life was not highly diverse. Um, but over my career, you know, I work with people from all over the world. And so I had an understanding and appreciation of what diversity was. I felt like I was pretty enlightened to it. But I love you opening up this conversation right now, Rebecca, because it is relevant. And, and over the last few weeks, I'm sitting here in Minneapolis, like I said, which you know is kind of the epicenter for this recent spike of a pattern that has been there for far too long and ignored and marginalized, right? So fires pop up and you know, that literally happened. There's, you know, unfortunately 150 mm. some buildings burned here, but um, I'm not speaking in that sense. But when awareness comes up of the trouble that we're in and how systemically we've caused that for a long time, I wanted to go deeper. And so I've really been doing a deep walk through my own beliefs and my own heritage and my own experiences what are my real thoughts? How are my relationships? And what are my biases? We can't have no biases, right? We, it'd almost be like not having a, a compass, right? We have to, like, there has to be some foundations that we're experiencing the world and making decisions on, but to understand them is pretty vulnerable, right? And go back and challenge them. How do I show up? What do I say? And sometimes for fear of saying the wrong thing, I might not say anything at all. And here's what really hurt me through this is, you know, that first week it felt so raw and it hit home so closely. I didn't really even know how to reach out to friends of mine, black friends of mine that I love. Um, they're close to me. They're important to me. And so I decided to do that deep exploration. And you know what? I'm not a horrible person, but there's things that I can learn and there's things that I can do differently. And there's ways that I can help others around me because I went through and not didn't defend who I am or what I'm doing or um, what I did believe and why it's somebody else's issue or fault or I'm fine or what are the right things to approach and engage in conversation to open the dialogue. And so I give you kudos for opening that up. And I know I've just given a really, really long answer. But I'm so passionate about it because I think it's our great opportunity. And I'll share this with the end is, I believe this journey that we're on with great transformation ahead of us, we're going to need all the good people that we can muster and gather to step forward into the challenges and the opportunities that we face. And let's not let any of the racial barriers diminish our opportunity to bring the best people forward and to 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 create the the society and the work and the and the change we need in this world and you know good and evil have no skin color right good behavior does not have bias it's that thing unto itself that we can look at and say 
where is the good behavior? Where is the energy? Where is the love in the fellow person? And how can we lift those that want to grow, want to explore, want to create? How do we get them to the forefront? And when we eliminate some of these biases, we have such a better opportunity to create the future that we can envision. Yes, absolutely. The thing I, I keep thinking about, and kind of going back to that point of psychological safety, I think that is really the thing that enables this turning point. Us being able to have the honest conversations without fear. And that is the thing that allows us to listen about experiences that people have that are different than ours. I almost get teary-eyed thinking about it. But the experiences that the Black community have had over many years and how that feels. And even though a lot of us might have been aware of it, now we're opening up the conversation in a much more raw and honest way that allows us to feel the pain much differently. And that's the thing that leads to change. And that's the importance of psychological safety. Oh, so powerfully said. And, you know, you shared the story of the chronic pain that you've gone through, right? And what's interesting is, you know, you are strong, you are resilient, you thrive despite that challenge. And what I talk about um, for myself recently is feeling the impression of other people's expression. So really listening to those journeys of friends and acquaintances. And, and I've even sought out conversations with strangers, you know, right down at the heart of the matter, right down in the neighborhood where the memorial is and sat with the people that had George in their homes and, and are feeling very differently about this and, and just listened. And what I wanted is, I, if you think of impression, it is that pressing discomfort, pain even. Mm. And I wanted to feel that from their expression that I didn't know, right? Their lives, their journey was kind of invisible to me, even though I drive by that neighborhood, right? And I didn't want it to be invisible anymore. And um, that's such a great opportunity. Mm. And you know what's really interesting is how willing people were to have that conversation with me. You know, in a neighborhood or a situation where I might not have felt comfortable that they would wonder, why are you having this conversation with me? Mm -hmm. But when we're vulnerable enough and go in open, I think I was surprised. I think we can all surprise ourselves. Mm. So I thank you for touching on this. I think, you know, we can help people through a lot of business ideals, Rebecca. But when we talk about leadership, isn't this it? Like, where are my flaws? Where do I have room to grow? What's that journey to change my mind? Yeah. And and then open the door for others to come with us. Yeah. I think that defines leadership. Absolutely. I think that's so powerful. And this isn't just about this moment in time in relation to the raised awareness and social injustice, right? It's very difficult now to separate our lives from our work. Some of it because a lot of folks are working remotely in the current pandemic environment, maybe for some time, and starting to recognize the boundaries between our life and our work are becoming fuzzier. And what makes it really interesting from a leadership perspective, from just simply a human perspective, is that we shouldn't have to separate who we are outside of our work from who we are inside of our work. Right and being exactly who we are, and not having to create that work boundary, but rather showing up to work as who we are, with the ability to not come to work with any level of fear about how we might be perceived, you know, or how we might um, do something wrong or the mistakes that we might make. 
carry those strengths outside of our work, you know, eliminating those lines a little bit more and allowing us to really be who we are. Not only does that open up our psychological safety and reduce the masks that we have to wear, take away those additional barriers for us to be able to do our work. It also allows us to connect better with the people that are around us just by being more authentic. It is an interesting proposition when you think about the future of leadership. And so when you think forward into the future and what leadership could hold for teams, for organizations, how would you envision the leadership of the future? Well, I, I love the way that you set that up, right? Because that scenario, while it's it's very true, and I think we've also learned very quickly through the pandemic that we're all connected very closely and you know the ripples go out very fast. So our, mm. our influence is probably greater than we may have realized and there's a responsibility to that. And then to help others recognize their strength and power it does take the whole self. So, you know, you framed it so well, Rebecca, when you think of what has been taught in the past or expected in the past of, you know, hey, we don't have no room for that in this room, Mike, you know, leave your emotions at the door. You know, when you get here, you're going to be this person and this is what we want from you. We want your work product. And, you know, we don't want, I don't care about, you know, your kids events or, or, you know, theater performance or sporting events or, anything else that's going on. I don't care about you. Medical appointments, all those things are distracting. While you're here, I own you. And I want your professional work, your mind, your your intellect, your skills. I don't want all that emotion. <laughs> well, you know, when we talk about the whole human, we're part of a pretty amazing package, right? Like our head and our heart and our gut and you know our physical being are all pretty miraculously connected and so to deny the whole power of a whole human is pretty silly it's like we well, want me to bring my head not my heart not my gut and when we deny people's emotions what we're saying is that first response you're having to everything that's being said or all the stimulus around you ignore that and get it up in your head where you're processing. That's what I want. We tell people to be false and fake and to use ideological filters. And then we, here's the worst thing, Rebecca, is then we watch people to see that emotional flaw come out. It's like, oh, there they were. They couldn't, they couldn't hold that poker face, could they? Right? I saw a little twitch there, right? And it's just like we're sitting around tables trying to solve big problems and and move the world forward and achieve these things that are for the betterment of everyone. And we're watching each other's poker face. It's so ridiculous. And, and not only do we believe in that, we teach that. People go to college. We give MBAs to learn that skill to hold your strength and no tell signs in a meeting. And It's like, what are we doing? Instead, it's like, you know, when you walk into the room, even if you're the leader, Rebecca, and I feel that something is, you know, not the same as it was the day before. And before we even start the intellectual process of the spreadsheets on the table, I ask you, are you okay? And you say, well, yeah, I am. Why do you ask? It's like your energy just seems a little bit off from where we were, where we ended up yesterday. And you could look and just go, wow, thank you for caring enough and noticing. 
you know, here's what happened. I just got some news about, you know, my grandmother last night after our meetings while I was in the hotel room, you know, going to bed. And uh, it was weighing on me a little bit this morning. The quality of the share that we're going to have for our time together after that interchange will be phenomenally more beneficial and rich and meaningful and productive and innovative and creative than it would if we were just going to go in and say, you know, that was a very sharp, quick analysis, Mike. And you know what? You didn't even crack a smile. I didn't see a flinch. You don't even blink anymore. Mm, are you ever, a, you know, you're the strength. And uh, that's the idiocy of where we brought these false beliefs that we're focused on the wrong things, not the right things. And what I see in the future of leadership is we will come across the chasm and start to value the whole person. The person that does have the emotional intelligence is very aware of themselves and others and has the strength to be vulnerable enough to express it. That's the future. We're going to allow the best of us to lead us. It's beautiful. Yeah, absolutely beautiful. <laughs> and I can think back, you know, the times that I was um, given coaching for showing too much emotion. Yeah. Um, yeah. I have, I'm going to you know, yeah, expose, expose all of it because it doesn't matter. I have cried at work on multiple occasions. And I did reach a time that I said, I am not going to hide in the conference room. I am not going to hide in my car and cry. I know people who've done that, that have gone to their car and cried because they don't feel safe enough to do it in the workplace because they are so stressed out under so much pressure to succeed or to deliver or whatever it might be, what are we doing to these people? And, and how is that helping them? How is that helping the organization, as you said, that creates a clutter in our minds that doesn't lead to clear thinking, that doesn't help anybody? Right. And it's just an ignoring the fact that we are all human. And yes, we have emotion because that's natural. And some of us may have a natural tendency to display more emotion than others. I'm a cry commercial kind of person. So I get frustrated. I get happy. I get. I feel uh, powerful connections with people. I start to cry. Yeah. You know, I, I, it's an automated response from my brain. But that's who I am. That's part of who I am. That's not the all of who I am. It doesn't make me weak. It just makes me human. And imagine how we're missing the greatest moments, right? So, you know, we get to the cry thing, right? And I'll, I'll just hit it too. As long as you're going to open it up, I'll step in. And yeah. so, you know, you can beat me up pretty heavy and, you know, not get a lot of reaction out of me. I can take the criticism and the pain and I, you know, like I might snap back a little bit, be more feisty about it, but you're not going to break me down where you're going to get me to cry. However, when somebody walks up to me and goes, you know, Mike, what you just did there or what we experienced, it was, you know, this great thing that took place. I thank you and say, boy, you know, you really changed my life. I'm weeping. Like they're just flowing and I have really no control over that. And I used to think like, oh my gosh, that's so embarrassing. Like why? Well, you know, my team, they're seeing me, right? Because somebody threw that compliment out or acknowledged yeah. and it, and, it, and, uh, and then I thought, why am I hiding from that? Those are like the greatest moments in life. Why wouldn't we allow that in? And if the pain we're causing others is on that end of over-critiquing, there should be no joy in that. That is the pretty sadistic power surge that some may feel for diminishing others like that, um, which leads me to also 
share another piece that I believe the future of leadership is we'll realize that the horse may run even if we're not whipping it. Oh, yes. It's like, I don't know. Is it true? Will the horse run? It's like, I don't know. Like I was trained, you you know, when it's your turn to ride the horse, you get on, you just start whipping that thing. And, and I think that may not be true. Maybe we just need to ease up. And I bet that beautiful beast will stride all on its own. Yeah. And that kind of goes back to the thing you had mentioned earlier around motivating people, usually kind of tapping into their intrinsic motivation as a leader to inspire them to follow or inspire them really sometimes to lead themselves. And once you tap into that intrinsic motivation, that's the real magic. That's when people can find their success, when they can be themselves, move forward towards a vision that, you know, of the future that, that they see and believe that they have the power to shape that future. Right. You know, and I think that's one of the things that's really powerful about leadership when you connect into those those people that are working around you and inspire them to do something to make a difference, to make a change. That's a much different brand of leadership than command and control. Yeah, command and control, when we look at the opposite of that, which is choice. Mm. You know, it's pretty easy to envision how choice could always win. Right. Did you choose to be here today? Did you choose to give your best effort? Did you choose to help the other person? Rather than, you know what, Rebecca, get here on time, help them out. It's like, well, I've got my own stuff to do. Help them out. You got to help the other person. You know what I mean? When, when we're told what to do and it's all command and it, it becomes very unnatural mm. and we resist it. When it's just like we understand it and it's by choice, oh, great things can happen. Great things can happen. Yeah, I've seen it. It's so true. So Mike, you weaved in a lot of great things, you know, for us to think about being optimistic about what the future might hold in, in leadership and maybe even in life, right? What are some of the things that concern you about the future? The things that truly concern me are, um, I think the circumstances that are going to come about from the outside to us. You know, we, we didn't see this pandemic coming, but it certainly is, this is a practice session for how we're going to respond to great change, because I think more is coming. And we're already on that path, and people understand it very well. So the technological changes that are coming, we're not quite prepared for. And we're not preparing people for how we're going to engage with each other and make decisions going forward with those future paradigms coming. And they are going to create big shifts. So when we go from a lot of centralization to decentralization, and I am talking about the you know technological underpinnings of blockchain and AI, when we need to be thinking digitally. Cognitive is digital. We better be very in tune with who we are as human beings and what is our ethics, our morals, our care and principle for others. And that's going to, to help shape and lead the challenges in the future because we have a lot of disruption ahead of us and it's out there. We can research it. It's available for us to explore, but I think it's being hidden from sight from, from too many people. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the reasons why I started my podcast to <laughs> <laughs> talk about the human side of the future and thinking about how these things or our ever-changing world will impact us and our experience in this world such an important thing. And the work that you're doing, Mike, is so important towards shaping that future where we think more about the impact of people, the importance of understanding or thinking differently about leadership. Because one of the things you talk about in your book, and I know a lot of things that I've seen from you in blog posts and even just out in the world, 
is that the current structure and leadership is broken. It's not working. And so many of us will acknowledge that, but don't necessarily know what structure we're walking into, where maybe it's just the time that we start to innovate a new vision of what leadership looks like for now and and in the future. And that's going to take all of us. I just love that. I mean, that, that actually would be a beautiful closing statement. So I should probably stop talking, correct? Yeah. <laughs> but I will say that, Rebecca, I love that so much because that is why it's important to focus on, you know, our human nature, our humanity. Humankind is so important because that is the difference maker. And when we understand each other and we're allowing ourselves to grow, that's when we get true evolution, right? And we can help each other prepare for these things that we're going to experience together. And we'll experience them in a way where we're making choices with them instead of have them happen to us. And so if we really do appreciate and connect to each other and find a way to operate with love rather than greed and fear and you know the other drivers, we can go at those challenges together with some degree of confidence that we're going to succeed. We're going to make it through it. When we become divided, they're going to feel like change is happening to us rather than we're creating the change. And that is a dynamic that I think we can help each other understand, explore, tighten our relationships, allow more people into that belief, those circles. And uh, that will automatically lift the leaders we need into the right position when we need them. Mm. Well, Mike, I, I can say that I'm glad you didn't stop talking because that was actually the best statement to end the episode. <laughs> that was beautiful. Mike, thank you so much for joining me. Mike Vacandi, the author of Believership. So go out, check out his book, um, check out his work. He does amazing work, uh, really transformational on us thinking about the importance of people and organizations. So Mike, again, thank you so much for joining me. This is truly a great joy. And, and I'm so pleased with the work that you're bringing to the world. And congratulations on this show and, um, and the innovative work with vision for the future that you continue to bring, Rebecca. Thanks so much, Mike. I appreciate the support. There are some people you run across in life that are wonderfully unique in their energy and ability to inspire others. Mike is one of those people. His authentic and honest approach to life is inspiring, but so is his mission to transform the concept of leadership for the better. If you look around Mike, you'll see something else. Amazing people. He is surrounded by a global community of people that are also on a mission to transform leadership, work, and organizations in a way that is compassionate to the human condition and ultimately better for society. This is not only a sign of a great person, but also the sign of effective leadership. As we venture toward the future, many of us have identified the need to shift leadership in a different direction. In many ways, that shift is well underway. More and more organizations are recognizing that employees are not only asking for better work environments, but they are demanding it. And as I found in my work with leaders, Many of them are heeding the call, not only because of the demand, but also because they want to do better. This is a tremendous opportunity for all of us to transform leadership in order to build a world that can better respond to rapid change, where leadership is driven less by power and more by compassion. 
Are you in? I sure hope so. So, go on. Go help shape the future. To learn more about Mike Vacanti and his amazing work, go to mjvacanti.com. That's mjvacanti.com. Get involved in the humans community by following Humans Now and Then on Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. I'd love to hear your thoughts about leadership and the show and connect with others who are inspired to shape a better future. Looking to optimize your team or your work? Check out my Optimal Team Flow workshop by visiting vividspring.com forward slash learning. That's vividspring.com forward slash learning. As a thank you for listening, use the code HUMANS to save 20%. I am Rebecca Scott, and this has been Humans Now and Then, hosted and produced by Rebecca Scott. Music by Ryan Sullivan, Rebecca Scott, and Victoria Scott. Credits and resources from this episode can be found in the episode notes at humansnowandthen.com. Thank you for listening.